RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by our Patreon supporter, Jim DeVico. We thank him and all our other patrons for their monthly support. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Buen dia, Capitan. You're listening to episode 383 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, and your weekly report from the Star Trek multiverse. Recorded in vivo on Tuesday, September 18th, 2018, and available for download or streaming on Friday, September 21st at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Kenna. And I'm Anthony. All right, Kenna. Tell us what we've got coming up this week. Well, we're trekking out the fact that Harry Mudd is coming back to our screens sooner rather than later. Sonequa Martin-Green talks about the Discovery crew's relationship with their new captain in Season 2. And CBS All Access adds downloads to its digital offering. In Star Trek Online and gaming news, there's a new C-Store option to help you get your Voth dinosaur pet. And Anthony gives us his thoughts on the latest Star Trek tabletop offering, Star Trek Galactic Enterprises. Later, we've got another report from the Astrometrics Lab with our science advisor, Dr. Robert Hurt. And as always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Captains, remember that those hailing frequencies are always open, and we love to hear from you between episodes, so please reach out to us. We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast. We're on Twitter at Priority One Pod. You can even send us an email via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. And we're on Instagram. Follow us at PriorityOnePod. Now we do have to take a moment to thank our patrons, the folks responsible for helping us keep the lights going and allowing us to continue to produce this show from week to week. Without their ongoing financial contributions, we wouldn't be able to continue to do the show the way we have been for the last several years. Speaking of patrons... A big shout out to our new patron, Ryan Ellis. Ryan, thank you so very much for joining the Patreon community. We're so very grateful to have you. Now, Captains, I don't know if you've noticed, but when a new patron jumps on and we thank them at the start of the show, we don't mention how much they've contributed. And that's because that's not what matters to us specifically. What matters to us is that you believe in Priority One enough to donate whatever you can to make sure that we can continue to produce this show. And we're so very grateful for that. More importantly, sometimes we understand that a financial contribution may not be in the cards. There are other ways that you can support Priority One. For instance, if you're on Facebook, Twitter, 
Instagram, be sure to share the post for this episode with all your fellow Trekkies. Let them know that they can get their roundup of Star Trek news from the multiverse right here on Priority One each week. And there's also another way that you can help support our team. We are looking for another audio editor. So if you fancy being a part of our volunteer team, bringing the latest Star Trek news to our listeners, then let us know. We'll train you and give you the software you need. All you need to bring is yourself. So if you're interested, email us at incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com or visit PriorityOnePodcast.com and you'll find more information under About Us. And now, let's check out all the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. Jim, what places? I don't know. Then let's check it out. Wubba-lubba-dub-dubs! If you know what that means, then boy are you in for a treat! Mike McMahon, producer and writer for Adult Swim's popular Rick and Morty science fiction cartoon, has hinted that he may be the writer and or director of the upcoming Harry Mudd short trek. McMahon, who is an unabashed Trekkie, tweeted a photo of a Star Trek Discovery director's chair, a sweatshirt sporting a butter robot draped over it, titled, quote, beam me up, end quote. Previous posts on his not safe for all audiences Twitter feed indicate that he was in Toronto. On September 16th, Rain Wilson tweeted, quote, guess who's back? Okay, I'll tell you. Harry Mudd, end quote. The tweet was accompanied by a photo of Wilson in plain clothes, flanked on either side by a male and female Orion. McMahon has served as a production assistant on South Park, as well as writing for Rick and Morty and Axe Cop. So I am super excited about, first of all, you guys don't watch Rick and Morty, so you guys don't get to say anything about this. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. You guys can say whatever you want, but I will say this. I am so excited. This guy, some of the episodes that he's written for Rick and Morty are some of the best Rick and Morty episodes ever. Like Rick Shank Redemption, Total Recall, Morty's Mind Blowers. Those are just that Morty's Mind Blowers is probably one of the best episodes. I love the idea of the short treks. These short treks actually remind me of do you remember when they used to do the short episodes, webisodes for Battlestar Galactica before a new season would start. This kind of reminds me a little bit of that. However, I, uh, you're right. I don't watch Rick and Morty. I, I actually don't like Rick and Morty at all. So because of that, I'm tentatively looking forward to this. So, right. Rick and Morty aside, which I cannot comment on because I have not watched it. Um, can we be done with Harry Mud, please? Like, I'm actually getting kind of upset talking about this, and I'm kind of upset that I have to say it again. Harry Mud is an incredibly problematic character, and the fact that CBS keeps bringing him back and keeps trying to be like, oh, he's funny and he's cute. He's not funny or cute. He's incredibly misogynistic and very, very problematic for the Star Trek franchise, and we need to be done with him. Now... I can totally get them bringing a similar character and developing a similar character into that role, but Harry Mudd needs to be done with right now. I, you know, I have nothing against Rain Wilson. I don't know who this guy is, and I've heard good things about Rick and Morty. I do not look forward to do it to this short trek. I don't think it should be made. I think it's an incredibly bad taste that we keep resurrecting this character. 
end rant. <laughs> I don't. Um, I will. I would be glad to talk to anybody about why I feel quite so strongly about this particular character, which today is not that day. Um, but it, we we need to be done with him now. But how how much worse is Harry Mudd than than the way Kirk would talk to Yeomans or or any other female character on the bridge of the Enterprise? Yeah, and that 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 character, that caricature of Kirk, we have matured beyond that. If Kirk comes back in Discovery and he is still behaving like that, I'm going to have the exact same commentary about him as I am about Harry Mudd right now. We are no longer in the 60s. We are now in 2018, and it's no longer funny to have some guy traipsing about the universe, treating women like he does, and making a joke out of his wife. It's not okay. Right. No, I agree. I completely agree with you. I guess my... my if they're trying to rewrite and retcon Harry Mudd to uh, but well then again they they completely screwed that over with themselves when they when they did the whole wife thing at the end of it if they had not done that if they were trying to if they were trying to mature Harry Mudd the way they tried to mature Kirk but they didn't they 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 shot themselves in the foot to your point when at the end of the the his little arc he gets confronted by his wife to which point that episode ended very much like a traditional Harry Mudd episode. Speaking of Discovery, Sonequa Martin-Green sat down with the folks at StarTrek.com to promote Discovery's Season 1 Blu-ray release due out later this year. What perked our ears, though, was her insight into Michael Burnham. Martin-Green says that if we met Burnham at A in the pilot and Z was the goal, she was probably at M. Martin Green continues to echo what has been said before regarding the tone of season two, saying, quote, there's a little more joy because we aren't at war. We're able to smile a little bit more. There's a sense of levity that's there simply because we're not fighting for our lives, end quote. Sonequa also made comments about Lorca's impact on the crew and their upcoming relationship with Captain Christopher Pike. Quote, we went through the ringer with Lorca, and so there's a little bit of PTSD there. There's a little bit of distrust there because of what we've gone through and because we had someone who manipulated us and sought to kill us for his own gain, end quote. For a link to the interview, check out the show notes. I actually really like the fact that they're revisiting the repercussions from Lorca's actions in season one. And I think, I actually think Pike is a great choice to take us there because of what we learned from Christopher Pike in The Cage which happens approximately a year or two before season two of Discovery. And he kind of went through his own bout of PTSD leading up to the events uh, on Talos. So I think that I think that it's going to be a good mix. And I also think that um, the season two uh, trailer of Discovery shows us that, you know, Burnham, the way she's interacting with Pike and with the rest of the crew, she she doesn't she wants Pike to know that they don't need a babysitter is kind of what I'm getting from these uh, statements and from the trailer from season two. Now, contrary to what I just said about a, an, a different previous character coming back, I'm actually looking forward to seeing how they interact with Pike. And it's because we keep getting little nuggets like this that actually suggest that they're going to deal with his character and his relationship with the crew in a mature way. Uh, She's absolutely right. They've been through an incredibly trying time. And he's coming in as, uh, as their commanding officer into a mature, gelled crew that's been through a lot. Uh, there's a lot of good stories to tell there about how they uh, move on together, and I'm looking forward to that. 
On September 16th, Twitter account at TrekDocs posted an exciting piece of Trek history, an unused story outline. We understand that doesn't sound that exciting, but just hear us out. The unused story written by Slider's co-creator and one-time The Next Generation executive story editor Tracy Torme was written for Star Trek The Next Generation's second season and would have brought back everyone's favorite Vulcan, Mr. Spock. The story, titled Return to Forever, had the USS Enterprise-D ferrying Spock to the Guardian of Forever, the all-knowing time-traveling aide last seen in City on the Edge of Forever. The Guardian is, quote, the most restricted object in known space, end quote. Spock, aboard the Enterprise once again, is decidedly unsentimental, but gets a strange feeling that he's met some of these officers before. The science team meant to be at the Guardian site is found dead, and the young boy is found in a catatonic state. Old Spock is sent into his own trance. Young Spock jumps through a portal and explains it's a Vulcan ritual to recover memories. The young child nearly tears the ship apart. Old Spock wakes up and stops the child. And young Spock is sent back through the Guardian, not before the old Spock tells him to forget. While Spock did make an appearance in Star Trek The Next Generation's fifth season during the two-part unification story, this return fell through due to Leonard Nimoy's loss of interest in the project. Be sure to check out the show notes for scans of the document. Now, this is an interesting concept. And what's funny is um, this is not the only Guardian-type story. So the the one that first comes to mind is Imzadi. That's uh, that's another one where Riker goes back to um, the Guardian. And um, what I'd actually like to see is like a collected like series of short stories about things where people go back to the Guardian and have these kind of bizarre encounters. Um, These kind of stories, to me, when when we find these lost scripts, they're always sort of an interesting piece of Star Trek history, like the what could have been or what fell on the cutting room floor. Uh, but ultimately, you know it's not going to be a great story because if it was if it was good, it was e- it would have either been a- an episode or pro- or maybe a novel. Yeah, I think that this could have gone either way. You know, this would have been, I'm assuming, a season two episode if it had actually gone through. And typically what happens is you get treatments like this and then they go through, you know, a a script writing process, a rewriting process. And oftentimes one single episode is touched by, you know, three or four writers on the show. So there's there's an opportunity for it to evolve into something better. We, we've seen that with other episodes in the past. Um, you know, yesterday's Enterprise is a perfect example. That was originally written as a as a Kirk guest star, uh, but it just it didn't work out that way. So I think that this this could have been a great episode, but I think around season two with the writing staff and the quality of episodes we got, I think you're right, Kenna. I don't think this would have been great at all and uh, I'm kind of glad it didn't make it out but this might make for a really good comic book if if somebody can pick it up and, and develop it like that because we've seen that happen with other unused scripts and stories from the Star Trek universe well that brings us to this week's first community question would you like to see return to forever or are you glad it didn't make it on screen let us know in the comment section for this episode at priority1podcast.com forward slash PO383 or simply by replying to our social media posts on places like Facebook or Twitter. So let me set a scene for you guys. You've beamed down to a planet for what was supposed to be a quick survey, then BAM! Transporters go down. 
Next thing you know, you're stuck on this rock until they find out why your captain got split in two and there is no internet service. Well, worry no more. This week, CBS announced that the download and play option has been added to its All Access service. At launch, all CBS All Access original content, including Star Trek Discovery, is eligible for download. Even better news, all classic shows are also available, including Star Trek's entire back catalog. Now you'll need a cell phone or tablet and the CBS app updated to at least version 6.0. Up to 25 videos can be downloaded at a time and will remain downloaded for either 30 days or 48 hours after playback has been started. Check out the link in the show notes for a full list of features and restrictions. I mean, good for them. This is great if you're on a long flight. Um, I I wish they would add the Carol Burnett show. That'd be nice. Uh, but, like I've mentioned before, I've canceled my subscription to CBS All Access until New Trek comes out. They've given me no reason and very little incentive to continue that subscription. Uh, but don't forget, Captains, that when you renew, or if you have not yet done so, be sure to use our affiliate links. I think it's funny that it's that CBS All Access is, like, all accessier. Like, it's more all access like it, so basically it wasn't all access before it was most access and now it's like now now it's all access right until the next thing comes also you can't watch it outside of the US also it's only available to people inside the US etc cetera, etc cetera. so it's, it's it's I think you should change it to CBS more access than a little bit earlier this year well that's it for this week in Star Trek news now let's find out what happened this week in the world of Star Trek gaming Computer, status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Captains who have not been able to run the breach event the necessary 14 times to complete the reward project and get your dinosaur with the frickin' laser beam pet, you now have another option. For 1,000 zen, you can purchase 10 Voth operative transmissions and get an ultimate tech upgrade to boot. With this pack, you will only need to run the Breach event four times. You'll want to act fast, though. This option will only be in the C-Store for a limited time, and the Breach event only lasts until Thursday, September 27th. This is really exciting for me because, you know, it's, it's no secret that I don't play as daily as I used to. And so having an opportunity to buy a, a pack of 10 Voth Operative Transmissions is great. I mean, you know, they're they're still getting their money's worth, right? They're still getting the the representation of the the cheek and the seat. And I'm okay with spending a thousand Zen on something like this, especially when Zen goes on sale periodically and whatnot. I completely agree. I you know, I love the game, but one thing I have a hard time with sometimes is grinding, you know? I don't necessarily like to do the same things over and over again. So when you have something like this where you have to run a specific event fourteen times in a limited time period, I'm not a huge fan of that. I'll do it if the reward is good enough. And to be honest with you, I was not keeping up with this one. So it was great to log in and see that there was another option available. And as soon as soon as I saw a tweet from Ambassador Kell about this, I immediately jumped in. I dropped the, the thousand Zen and I picked this up and then ran the event one more time is all I needed. And then I finished the project and got my uh, dinosaur with freaking laser beams. And it is so cool. 
Yeah, this is great. I, you know, I, I, I'm sure that there are naysayers out there that are thinking, oh, doom and gloom, they can't get people to play the thing, so now they're adding it to the story. Nah, I don't, I, I kind of wish that they would have done this ages ago, you know? I wish that this was a, an option when the game first launched, you know, and they started doing these daily things. Because uh, like you, I'm not a big fan of the grind, so I'm definitely going to take advantage of this 10 Valp operative, and I can do the thing four times. It's not going to be a problem. In the final blog fiction of Victory is Life, Mike Ambassador Kelfatum takes us on a mission with a founder named Nuno, as his crew follows a group of Herc who are less interested in fighting and more interested in a solution. Check out the show notes for a link to the post. PC captains can jump in their shuttles, fighters, or yachts and participate in some new shuttle queues. The dev team has taken some of the starship queues and transformed them into 5 or 20 player missions. Atmosphere Assault, Storming the Spire, and Federation or Klingon Alerts are now playable until Monday, September 24th. You will earn double the amount of marks for completing these queues. In other Star Trek gaming news, I recently acquired the latest tabletop offering from WizKids Games, Star Trek Galactic Enterprises. In Star Trek Galactic Enterprises, each player puts their lobes to the test in order to become the richest first clerk in the galaxy. Each round is spent bidding on galactic market cards and one unknown action card. Action cards can be played during various phases of the game and can give you an ear up on the competition. The market cards represent goods from the Star Trek universe, everything from tribbles to synthahol to dabo machines. One by one, the cards are auctioned off until they are all gone or each player has purchased one. Then it's time to squeeze the latinum. Players who own the same type of good will haggle and deal over what price they are going to set for that good. Once everyone is finished, each player secretly writes down the price they set. Then the prices are revealed. Whoever set the lowest price for a certain good will gain that amount plus two latinum for each card of that good they have. Whoever has the highest price, however, will gain no latinum. And anyone who set a price between the highest and lowest will gain that amount they set. If all the players tie for the lowest amount, well, then everyone gets their price plus two latinum. There are some restrictions on the highest and lowest amounts that can be set, but the real fun is trying to convince your fellow Ferengi that you can all maximize profits if you all set the high price. When in just the previous round, you actually undercut them. The game lasts 7 to 10 rounds, depending on the number of players, which can range from 3 to 8. At the end of the game, the player with the most latinum wins, and presumably, retires to a small moon they just purchased. The components of the game consist of a rulebook, a deck of market cards, a deck of action cards, a first clerk card to represent the active player, a pad of price-fixing sheets, and a whole lot of latinum. The cardstock is good quality, and the cardboard latinum tokens feel great when you're stacking them up after a successful sales commission. The paper price fixing sheets are fine, although the game doesn't include pencils at all, and I probably would have preferred something dry erase in lieu of the paper sheets. Someone even recommended that I laminate some of the sheets for future games. During the game, we also had some rules questions that the rulebook just couldn't clarify. Other than that, this game makes you feel like a Ferengi. If you're a Star Trek fan and have at least two other people to play this with, I highly recommend it. The mechanics are solid and the game is great fun. Even for humans. WizKids continues to crank out the Star Trek tabletop games. 
the just-announced Star Trek Conflict, spelled Flick, F-L-I-C-K, is a dexterity game that will have you flicking starships across the neutral zone, trying to avoid asteroids in order to collect resources from planets. Designed by Mike Elliott, who also designed Star Trek Fleet Captains, Star Trek Conflict in the neutral zone is two to four players, suggested age of 14 and up, and is due out in February 2019. The retail price will be going for $39.99. That's it for this week in gaming news. Now, let's look up to the night sky with Dr. Robert Hurt and his Astrometrics Report. For this week's Astrometrics Report, I'm going to indulge in one of my favorite pastimes, which is looking for real counterparts to worlds out of science fiction. In this case, we're going to be searching for Spock's homeworld, the planet Vulcan. Back in 1968, in his novel Star Trek II, author James Blish identified Spock's homeworld as orbiting the star 40 Eridani A, also known to astronomers by its catalog number HD 26965. The star is about 16 light-years away and is actually part of a triple star system. The principal star is slightly smaller and cooler than the Sun, which would render its glow slightly more orangish than we're used to, and the two companion stars, which orbit far away, would be prominent features in the Vulcan sky, both in the day and at night. Just this week, a press release issued by the University of Florida announced the discovery of a super-Earth orbiting 40 Eridani A. The team, led by astronomer Jian Gi, described the planet as being about twice the size of Earth and orbiting just inside the optimal habitable zone of this star. The discovery was made using the 50-inch Dharma telescope in Arizona. This telescope looks for exoplanets orbiting other stars by carefully measuring the motion of the star and looking for any wobble that could be attributed to a mutual gravitational interaction with the planet. That is one of the most practical applications for astronomers of Newton's third law. Even though a planet is a lot smaller than a star, it still creates a gravitational interaction that, with very careful measurement, can sometimes be detected. Now the bad news is it's not likely to be terribly hospitable for life. The planet's 42-day orbit puts it well inside the inner edge of the habitable zone of the system, meaning it's probably going to be too hot for liquid water to exist on its surface. Its large size could also exacerbate the effect by allowing it to build up a much denser atmosphere subject to greenhouse heating effects. In fact, it might be more described as a super Venus than a super Earth under those conditions. Nonetheless, the next time you pull out your well-worn Star Trek maps published in the 70s, know that when you see Vulcan listed under the 40 Eridani system, there is a planet waiting there to be investigated. Now, as I've noted in previous Astrometrics reports, my favorite candidate for a putative Vulcan homeworld would be TRAPPIST-1e, located in a system 40 light-years away. This is an Earth-sized world orbiting a red dwarf star and sits right smack in the habitable zone. We even know that the planet has a density almost identical to Earth. Now, if you'd be interested in experiencing a trip through a system like this firsthand, I'm excited to announce that my group at work has finally released a VR experience for the TRAPPIST-1 system. It was released a few weeks ago in conjunction with the 15th anniversary of NASA's Spitzer Space Telescope, the infrared mission that helped characterize the planets in the TRAPPIST-1 system. We have versions of the VR experience that work on Oculus and Vive, 
or even just as a YouTube 360 video that can be viewed directly on any smartphone. We'll put links in the show notes on how to find these VR experiences for yourself. Well, that wraps it up for this week's Astrometrics Report. Let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, this is the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Episode 382's first community question was, Would you watch a USS Callister show based on the episode of Black Mirror? From Patreon, David S. writes in, I'd give it a chance. A spinoff would be weird, given the fact that we know it would be set inside a computer. Well, that's what I'm saying, David. What if it was like a Matrix series? What if we did like a Matrix? Yeah, kind of like a Matrix thing. I could see that. black. Yeah, drink. From Patreon, Jay Galloway says, I'm happy to support and watch anything Star Trek related. Granted, some Trek is better than others. If CBS creates another show, I would happily watch it. At least one time through. Yeah, I, I agree, Jay. I, like, I watch everything Star Trek at least one time through and usually go back and rewatch it because I'm such a big fan. So Yeah, I mean, I think it's great to, like, support the kind of the genre. I think if, if USS Callister was a was sort of a Star Trek-ish genre show in, in much the similar way that the Orville, I would consider it to be in the Star Trek genre and therefore I'm very happy to promote it and promote the genre as a whole. But I... It's definitely not Star Trek, and I think it's it's even harder to draw a parallel between USS Callister and Star Trek than it is with the Orville. I have a problem with this supporting Star Trek financial. Like it's uh, never. Uh, there's a part of me that that looks at television. Actually, it, it, this is very true. Television, television is governed by an industry that matters about its profit. Television is not a, is is rarely a space for creative exploration, as opposed to theater, something that has been around for centuries and millennia, in one way, shape, or form. So the the concept of supporting Star Trek financially, I don't know. I I, I uh, it, it it rubs me the wrong way a little bit. I it's it, I wouldn't support Star Trek. Like, for instance, CBS All Access. I cut off my subscription the moment Discovery was done. I'm not going to keep giving the machine the money in the hopes that they're going to produce something that I'm going to end up liking. I'm only going to give them the minimum for a product that I know that their end goal for the people up on top is about the return on investment. That's not to say that there's not good television. That's not to say that there's not artistry. But I'm not going to continue to pay for CBS All Access. I, you, but you still financially supported Star Trek. Yes. And, and the yes. other thing is that I think, I, I, you know, the commercialization of art is, is, is an interesting thing. Because having worked in several aspects of it and on both sides of, you know, working on small creative movies and working on large studio projects. The thing is, is that oftentimes the best creative endeavors produce the most money. So if, and I think that like Netflix, they just took home a bunch of Emmys the other night. And that's because they allow a lot of creative freedom to create good art. And, and that's why they make a lot of money. And I think that 
CBS, any of these streaming services, they have to they have to know that going into it that there has to be creative freedom in order to bring people to the streaming service. And I think that oftentimes great entertainment and art is a byproduct of the money making machine when it all works well and everybody benefits. From Facebook, Stephen Carville says, USS Callister series, no thank you. Great story, told well, great ending. And I could not agree more with uh, Stephen on this one. It was a great self-contained little perfect truck nugget of a, of a story. Let it, let it be its thing and let's go on and create something else that's new. From PriorityOnePodcast.com, Joseph Schott says, Yes, I absolutely would watch it, but I would be worried about stretching a good story too far. If I'm honest, I do share in the concern with y'all. It was very uncomfortable to have my lifestyle portrayed in such a dark and gruesome manner. However, it does give us an opportunity to look closely at the potential dangers of this personality type. Maybe that could be the sequel, an episodic examination into the different personality types at their worst. Via Discord, thanks to Brandon, our audio editor, Berg1701 writes in, I'd be happy to give a USS Callister show a shot. It all depends on where they go with the story. I found it a bit uncomfortable watching the Black Mirror episode. As a programmer, gamer, and Star Trek fan, I felt it painted all of those in a rather negative light. If the show can find a middle ground that I find less alienating, sure. By the end of the episode, we're left with an interesting premise. Now, I I know that we covered the Callister when it first came out. Was it an on-screen thing that we did? Yeah, we did it on uh, we did it on screen. And I remember being vocal about the fact that it it really painted Star Trek fandom in a negative light that did not that did not need. See, I don't know. I completely took it as satire, like a black satire. I don't think anybody who's watching it is actually going, wow, that's exactly what Star Trek fans are like. I, I really saw it as a dark satire on, it was based on stereotype and, you know, really outdated notions of what it means to be a geek fan. Um, so I, I personally didn't take it that way, but I, I respect that a lot of other people did see it that way. I, you know, what's interesting is when I first saw the episode, I, I felt uncomfortable about it and I didn't know why. And then I'm pretty sure y- you guys talked about it on an episode because I remember listening to your opinion, Elijah, and then it clicked for me that that's what made me feel uncomfortable about it. And I completely agree with you. And I, and that's why I, I didn't really enjoy this episode and I would never want to watch a show based on these characters. Episode 382's second community question was, what do you think of the shakeup at CBS? From Patreon, Jim Tavico writes in, as it relates to Star Trek, I hope they come to their senses and see Star Trek as the franchise it can become. I hope they follow the Disney lead and turn this IP into something that we can be proud of and engage with in many ways that have been discussed in this very podcast. And I completely agree. This goes this goes to my you know my argument earlier about CBS All Access and and the concept of paying the machine. They fumbled with the the IP for years, for decades, and if they can stop fumbling and this this board of directors can do with Star Trek what they've done with their own IPs, then I think that then yeah, I'll I will give happily give my sixty dollars. 
<laughs> Absolutely, and I, you know, I think I think it's I think it's unfair in a little bit of a way to compare Star Trek to one of the Disney properties. I think that it's a very different offering, uh, but that's not to say I do think that there is a niche out there that the the powers that be don't don't have seemed to have cracked yet in terms of uh, how they're going to market, especially to children and young adults. And they haven't quite cracked that yet. But there's some promise there. You were talking about this last week, Elijah, with um, people from Hasbro and other that have turned around other franchises. It's definitely a, a positive prospect. Also from Patreon, David S. says... I was never a big fan of Moonves, so I certainly won't be missing him. I just hope that the shakeup results in someone who is both a fan of Star Trek in order to help promote it at CBS, and someone who respects Trekkies and Trekkers as something more than untapped money. I think so too. Well, I think that they've that CBS knows now that Discovery season one has been out. They see the numbers, and I keep coming back to this. I think they they had a hit on their hands both financially and creatively and they're very happy with it and now they're they're going to want to push it even more in, including all the different properties that we just talked about well here's something that that disney has cracked and it goes back to what we were talking just a second ago that um cbs uh, slash paramount don't seem to have um kind of grabbed onto is is that david you're right trekkers or trekkies depending on what you say, are more than untapped money. And uh, Disney in particular, I think, has, has, has tapped into this, this method of marketing their products where by serving the fans, it comes back to them by the fans spending just an absolute ton of money. And so I hope that CVS and, and also Paramount eventually will, will glom onto that and realize that when they serve us, when they please us when they make us happy, we will turn around and spend loads of money on Star Trek uh, props and cosplay and toys and everything else because we love it and we feel engaged. And finally, this week, we asked our Twitter followers to answer our hashtag Survey Sunday question. Which short trek are you most looking forward to? 53% of you wrote in saying, silly for Tilly. 27% of you replied with, Saru. The other calamari. And 12% of you said Harry Mudd, Whale Rider. And only 8% of you said Craft, Stranded Human. Can I just say, hashtag the other calamari is so wrong. It, so I know. Wrong. And so right. Is everybody out there to even remember, uh, old enough to remember that campaign? The other white meat. The other white meat? Yeah. yeah oh, of course. Yeah. That, was, that was early 2000s. Was it? All right. I don't know. I, I have this whole... I've, I've missed all of the 2000s. A big shout-out to Jake for these Survey Sundays and his awesome wordplay and wordsmithing. Uh, it's, he's very creative, and, and it's, 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 it's always a fun little laugh to see his hashtag. So big shout-out to Jake. Well, that wraps up episode 383 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. For more great podcasts like Mission Log, Women at Warp, and The Trek Files, visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. But before we go, here's a reminder of our community question this week. Would you like to see the unfilmed Return to Forever script, or are you glad it didn't make it to the screen? Captains, you know we love hearing from you. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com. 
on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast, or find us on Twitter or Instagram at Priority One Pod. Don't miss a thing from the Star Trek multiverse. Catch our episodes every Friday by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. You can even join in on the fun while we record our episodes live on Tuesday nights at around 11 p.m. Eastern on Facebook. Keep an eye on our social media channels for details. And if that wasn't enough, be sure to spend time with Admiral Winters and the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada takes to our Twitch channel, where they review the latest Star Trek Online and Armada news, as well as spotlight some of the amazing members in our community. Each week, we team up with you, the viewers, our listeners, and earn things like reputation marks and dilithium. With regular giveaways, there's something for all Star Trek Online players, new and old. Follow us on twitch.tv forward slash Priority One. And if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com. And if that's still not enough, then be sure to watch for The Cutting Room. Join Priority One audio editor Brandon Parker on Thursday nights at around 6.30 p.m. Eastern and watch as he turns our Tuesday hijinks into Friday gold. That link again is twitch.tv forward slash Priority One. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our patrons through patreon.com. Find out more and add your support at patreon.com forward slash Priority One. Even if you can't make a financial contribution, please help spread the word about the show and invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency podcast at guardfrequency.com. Each episode, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons & Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to heroesrisepodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to our audio editor, Brandon Parker. Thanks to producer Jake Morgan for his ongoing contributions in producing this show from week to week, including his social media endeavors. Thanks to our graphic artist and web designer, Henry Pomper. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. Thanks to Patreon associate producers, Navy Boats Lou and Jim DeVico. And most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Su. No. Engage. Oh, you mean you, said it with, you mean because I sounded good? I mean, it just like I didn't stumble. Well,
Is sounded like you were trying to seduce somebody. I'm oh, just saying. Right, it was. It was like a little bit of a of a Captain. Air. Remember that those hailing frequencies are always open. Yes. We'd love yeah, to hear from little, you between episodes. It's <laughs> a little late night phone call I'm service yeah. thing. You know, yeah. I'm a little more awake. Reach I'm out drink- to us <laughs> after nine PM. We're on Facebook. <laughs> Would, would you like me to do now it we over? do have to take a- oh, no. okay. storming the spire and federation or klingon fleet alerts are not are not are no oh no wait yeah, wait drink. wait 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 what? oh anthony are might we? not know that elijah's what? super into the matrix oh yeah oh. i can quote all he's, three he's 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 better now but i'm sorry just, there's only there's only two films I'm staying out of it. <laughs> oh, he's a tea lizard. I get it. You were doing the tea lizard. I get it. Kermit. The tea I'm, lizard. It's Kermit. I'm Kermit I know. I know. It's, Kermit it's funny for because. Flash action news. Don't you remember the tea? Never mind. If you don't. Yes. It's like that's next level memeing to refer to it as a tea lizard. Sorry. Make- you want to talk about terrible acting and directing? Let's talk about the third Matrix movie podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network